Blog Talk Radio. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and cool, step right up. Behind this curtain lies a ghastly concoction of delight, horror, fantasy, and terror. Your every wish is our command. Your every whimsical desire brought to life. But I'm warning you, there's always a price. Welcome to the greatest And welcome back to the greatest show on earth that is Talking Terror. As always, I'm your old pal, the King of Horror, Andy G, welcoming you back to this episode of the show, where tonight it's the ghoul's pick, the film pick of the week, 1987's The Stepfather, directed by Joseph Rubin, and starring that guy from Lost, Terry O'Quinn. And as always, we are joined by the bold, the beautiful, the ghoul geek Keith. Family is everything, guys. Family. Everything. Yes, that family, too. <laughs> what is happening, everybody? What is going on tonight? As always, uh, we are going to be joined uh, at some point by the Dean. Uh, the monkey, as we said last week, is taking a month hiatus. And, yes, it is about family. Uh, but this father in this movie does not drink Corona and drive around in hot rods and other racing cars. No, he, he murders people. He, he ends things. Whereas Vin Diesel just likes to extend things, like the, the Fast Universe. Because we're up to nine and we're going up to eleven, so family. You can have any beer you want as long as it's a Corona. And the thing is, is that he really doesn't drink them anymore. In the movies, he's moved on. They kind of show it to you in nine, but no, he's moved on to like exotic beers because they were in Rio for a while. So I guess he couldn't get Coronas in Rio, so he had to switch down to whatever was local. So yeah, you don't really see him sucking down a lot of Coronas in the later entries, but. Yeah, so the, the, the memes, though, that came out of nowhere, a family and Vin Diesel, are just fucking amazing. Out of nowhere, everybody's making a family uh, meme of Vin Diesel and Fast and Furious. Yeah, I've been seeing them all over the place, too, man. So some of them are pretty funny. It's always interesting when, like, I don't know, like that whole thing with like Vin Diesel and, and the family jokes and the quarter mile at a time. Like, I don't know. We've been making them for, like, years. So, like, I don't, it just seems weird that it's, like, all of a sudden now everybody else, like, caught on to what we already knew was, like, goofily funny, which is Vin Diesel in the Fast and the Furious franchise. I just think it's like a new generation getting eyes on the Fast and the Furious, and they're kind of seeing how much he talks about family, so... Now, all of a sudden, it's family. So it's like a new generation, even though, like you said, we've been talking about this for years. The Corona line, the quarter second of a mile line, you know, family. It's, it's been just going on for, for many, many years. That was in 2001 when that first one came out, and nobody ever sure, thought they'd be I mean, going into fucking space. It's been 20 fucking years of Fast and the Furious. And oh. boy, man. Like, yeah, seriously, if you would have told to me. About it. 20 years ago when I went, and like I remember watching with you, Dean, watching the first Fast and the Furious movie and enjoying yeah. it, you know, like it was a fun movie, totally got it, totally dug it, but if you would have told me at that point that we were going to look at, be looking at a franchise that's going to not only survive for 20 years, but break out into a, an entirely other huge side franchise with the, uh, the, the, the rock and fucking what's his face. Um, and Statham, 
Vin Diesel. And have like, oh, yeah, all the yeah, other yeah. multimedia yeah. things that they're, they're on with, man. I mean, it's just, it's, it's insanity. You know, no, I would never afford no, that. No, you're, you're right on, if, exactly, Ghoul. And again, uh, this is coming from someone who uh, has only seen the first one and like maybe saw like a few minutes of another one and I don't even know which one that is. But yeah, when that first one came out, like, sure, you're like, oh, you know, this is successful. Yeah, they'll, I'm sure there'll be a sequel, whatever. But like, for it to be 20 years later, and they're still cranking them out, like one every other year, essentially. And like, if you would have said this will still be going on 20 years from now, and like The Rock and Jason Statham and all these people are going to be involved. Um, no, I've been like, you know, you're out of your fucking mind. And now uh, I was just, I just saw uh, earlier that there's going to be possibly another spinoff. Um, yep. Yeah. Is there for Charlize Theron's character? Mm-hmm. Uh, that there yep, might be a spinoff for her, too. So yep, don't and say also Dominic Toretto. If it no, could be no, spoiler-wise. Yeah, I still haven't seen the night. No, no I, what's spoiler? Like, I, I don't even spoiler. know what I'm talking about. Yeah. I'm not saying it's for you. I know spoiler. the king saw it, though. So I know if he knows for the potential oh, yeah, spinoff, it tells me that that character's... At least, at least that tells me the character's alive and that she continues She's to alive. live yeah. after the ninth movie. Well... That, that's why I said I, I can't spoil it, and I'm not going to spoil it, but it, that, that's something to keep in mind when you watch Part 9, if you ever get around to it, that what you just said. Because the, oh, the way I they will. handle things. I definitely will. Yeah. It, it, I, I, it, it's you amazing. know what? And, the Fast and the Furious movies are such a guilty pleasure. I'm sorry. What's amazing? I'm sorry. Oh, the fact that that's what you just said, how there's just no finality in these movies. And you'll find out. Like I said, I can't. I so badly want to give a spoiler, but I can't. Just watch it, and you'll see, and you'll come back to me. Like, even the dean, he texted me, and he goes, hey, wait a second. Are they blasting a car off into space? Yeah. It's in the trailer. <laughs> it's yeah, in the, well, I mean, you know, it's on the the trailer, arrow. Was that, that fucking grappling hook sequence that was just like – so absurd that yeah. but you know like i said it went with the hobbs and shaw movie you've literally introduced super characters into the into the, into the <laughs> yeah. franchise so like once you start taking that yep. into account literally literally the sky is the fucking limit there, there really is no oh, nowhere yeah. this franchise can't go they can have fucking races on the moon in the next movie and they'll find a way for fucking us fans to be like yeah I, I get it dude that works yeah and you go back to 2001 where that movie was just all about boosting VCR DVDs from trucks that was the whole impetus of that movie Dom stealing VCRs yep. DVD players and DVDs and now we are international thieves going to Rio, driving cars from building to building, and we're also building superheroes with Idris Elba, going up against uh, super soldiers like Hops and super spies like Shaw. <laughs> We've come a-, a long way since those early days of Race Wars, which problematic title for a race in the desert, but hey. <laughs> okay, I gave it that Mad Max feel, you know? <laughs> Not that kind of race. Oh, it was folks. so very exciting. Oh, sorry, I didn't thinking. watch it. <laughs> oh, you missed it. You just you missed a good time. But uh, anyway, so uh, as we kick off tonight, welcome, Dean. Uh, I forgot to intro you before as you cut in. But uh, before we get into our news, I know that Ghoul uh, had an exciting weekend. So I wanted to know if you wanted to just give us a recap before we get into some horror news discussion. Oh, sure, man. Yeah, we uh, yeah we had a fun 
little Fourth of July weekend. I hope you guys did as well. I mean, we uh, we didn't really do much. We didn't do anything on Saturday anyway. Uh, Saturday we just kind of just chilled at home, gathered up all like the uh, the energy and everything. You know, the prior weekend we were in Salem, so this this weekend was going to be uh, somewhat restful. But earlier in the week, I had purchased uh, tickets from the Mahoning Theater for Sunday night, Fourth of July. Uh, and they were uh, playing The NeverEnding Story with uh, Noah Hathaway uh, actually there as well, which was really, really cool. Um, you know, one, obviously, I love The, the NeverEnding Story. Famously, for this show anyway, everybody knows the king hates The NeverEnding Story. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, but we you mean you at the drive-in? No, of course he did not. Um, the kidnapping no. went awry, and, uh, and, and, and nothing worked out. They, they, they had trouble getting him no. out of the house. He was crying yep, and not letting go of his couch leg. Yeah. <laughs> so, so anyway, so, uh, you know, earlier <laughs> in the day, we, uh, we, we left early in the morning on Sunday, departed. I figured we'd hit traffic. It's 4th of July. Thankfully, we hit none. Uh, we headed over to Jim Thorpe, and uh, we checked out the Carbon County Jail, which was uh, very cool. Uh, every other time we've ever gone there, it's been closed. So it was really nice that this time it actually was open. Uh, and the four of us all uh, about that up. They, uh, yeah, it was uh, pretty pretty creepy, man. The fucking dungeon area downstairs or whatever you want to call it. Like this place was, was running in the 70s of like, you know, the 1900s, <laughs> man. Um, and, uh, and yeah, you're like, uh, you look at this and you look at these conditions and you're like, wow, this is... Uh, quite something but i guess the, the big famous thing is the uh the handprint on the wall of uh mm. cell 17 and uh if you, know, you can look in through the, the the window on it and i guess like the way the story goes is there was like these guys were being hung in the place or hanged i i don't know what the right wording or verbiage is for that um they were being hanged i believe is what you're supposed to say mm, and uh and I guess the one guy I like the way you got feeling like the whole thing. Yeah, well, <laughs> you know, the one guy feeling it was unjustified. I guess you know, rubbed his hand on some of the the, the ground or whatever, and put his handprint on the wall, and said that that would stay there forever. And uh, and supposedly it, it has not gone away. They've painted over it. They've done numerous things to try to make this thing go until they finally embraced it and realized it wasn't going. Um, they've had people come in and do like spectrograph and all this other stuff to try to see why it is that like, you know, like it was there some kind of like isotope or radio, you know, some kind of like compound or some shit that's making it do it. But I don't know. I'm sure there's some scientific explanation that they're not going to give us because they want us to see it as a mystery and be like, Ooh, Oh, Oh, um, which was pretty cool either way, you know, so, <laughs> it, uh, so, so yeah, the rest of Jim Thorpe was neat and we, uh, we did the train ride, but then yes, Mahoning, uh, you know, beckoned and we got there and meeting Noah Hathaway was a lot of fun. Really cool dude. Uh, we sat and chatted for, for actually quite some time, a huge line, like a mast behind me, uh, while this was happening. And we were talking for like 20, 30 minutes, man, just chatting about different, uh, different strains of, of recreational fun, and stuff like that, and, and little stories, and and here and there, and uh, yeah, nice guy. I, I figured he'd just be uh, one of those that would kind of like just sign and you know take a picture, bye, see you later, and you know again, it ended up being a a lot of fun just chatting with him and everything. Sammy's funny. She's like, Dad, you should get his number. You know, this way you guys can like chat like without us waiting. Um, and I was like, oh, cool, thanks. Uh, but, uh, but, nah, we didn't do that. 
But yeah, oh, you didn't get his number? No, you know what? He told me to follow him on Instagram, so so I do believe we did that. <laughs> um, and uh, and yes, indeed. You know, sorry, sorry, King. You know, I know that the movie was great. I, we wished you could have been there with us, uh, but you were not, unfortunately. But you were there in our in Should've our went. hearts. Should have went. Should have no, went. went, King. Yeah. Yeah, you know what? I should have. I was I was busy that day actually because I was trying to catch up my 2021 list of horror movies. So I actually packed in like three different movies on Sunday. So I was kind of all movied out. Oh, look at this guy! What what movies did you pack in there on Sunday, King? Are they uh, top five? The, uh, uh, they could be. I got. I don't do that till the end of the year. But no, I watched uh, Censor by uh, Prano Bailey Bond, which is like a takes place in the 80s in the UK during the video nasty era. Pretty fun movie. Uh, Jacob's Wife with um, Barbara Crampton. That's uh, Travis Stevens' movie. And also uh, Lucky, which is uh, Natasha Fermani with uh, Bray Grant from After Midnight, which is a weird kind of home invasion meets Groundhog Day type thing. So, a lot of fun. Um, you know, it's on Shutter, but the other two I actually paid for. But I just, I'm trying to pound in as many of these 2021 movies as I can. So, I can actually start working on my list later on in the year. But so, yeah, it was all movie out by, by Sunday night. Uh, I got another three to watch this weekend. I got The Stylist. That's a Jill Six movie. Um, trying to think of the other two. Sound of Violence, uh, Alex Neuer, and then uh, what's the other one that I have? Oh, In the Earth by Ben Wheatley. So I have to watch that one too. So those are my three for this weekend. So <laughs> that's my hobby. That's what I do. But yeah, so got to get that list going by the end of the year. How about you, Dean? What'd you do? Um, it was, uh, what did I do? What did I do? Um, what did you do? On I ate a lot of gummy. I'm trying to remember. <laughs> on <what> I did. <laughs> Saturday, <laughs> I I uh, didn't really do anything on Saturday. Um, it was very uneventful. It's kind of like laid around the house. It was a very lazy day. And then Sunday, I uh, just went over over to a friend's house and we had some food and played a bunch of records and hung out. And then uh, Monday, just uh, just some stuff around the house. Uh, and, oh, what am I talking about? I'm totally wrong. So, sorry, Monday was do nothing day. Saturday, um, I was out and about. Uh, a friend of mine was playing music in the morning at this cafe outside. So we went and had breakfast there and saw some of that music. And then uh, we went over uh, and saw some other music at another venue. Um, some Phil Lesh and Friends Grateful Dead music stuff on Saturday. So Saturday was a full day of music. How could I forget? And Sunday at a friend's house, and then Monday, yesterday, was like a day of essentially nothing. Uh, very cool. Very cool. So there you have it. I do have to, stories. I do have to say, you know, whereas Mahoning didn't do any fireworks, which was fine, especially because we got the screen and it's, I guess there's an airport right there. Um, it was quite interesting being in the middle of PA right there. And here we are kind of like up in this like ridged area 
And all around us, like in all the directions, there were just fireworks going off everywhere, you know? So it was, it was pretty fucking cool. Oh, wow. And in, like a, in a lot of ways, like I kind of felt like it was probably pretty close to like what it was like back in those days, like during the wars and shit, where you heard fucking, you know, bombs and explosion and fighting and fucking all kinds of crap going off everywhere, you know? Because it wasn't in just like any particular direction. Like if you look to the right, there was some fucking shit going on over there. You look north, south, east, west. And all the fucking places in between. So, so I thought that was pretty cool, man. And then, then we drifted off to bed at like 2 a.m. Yeah, that is pretty awesome. Being in that kind of area, you get the clear sky and everything like that. It's pretty amazing. And I also forgot to, to say that I know that the ghoul watched it as well. Fear Street, 1994, part one of the trilogy Gosh. I watched on Friday. So that uh, definitely, I mean, it was entertaining. It wasn't a great movie by any means. No, it was, it was good. It wasn't great, but. I definitely enjoyed it for the nostalgia factor. Brought me right back to the 90s watching those really bad 90s slasher movies where you don't expect anything mm-hmm. from it. But, uh, you know, that was, that was my... I don't want to give too many spoilers because I know that Dean hasn't watched it yet, so... You haven't watched no, it, Dean? I actually... No, not yet. It's actually... It's a, there's a very strong possibility that I will actually uh, watch it uh, later, later this evening. At least start it later this evening and possibly finish it tomorrow. Yeah, yeah. Me and me and the Google girl watched it. Uh, I have no like. I know you saw. You said nostalgia factor for you. Um, now I never read any of those books, um, and uh, so so me, I'm looking at it as, as fresh as can be uh, going into this. And yeah, I mean, I found it entertaining. I like what they've set up. You know, whether or not mm-hmm. after parts two and three. If everything delivers, I mean, I think that's the big thing. The ghoul girl didn't like it. Uh, you know, she she found it to be kind of dull. Um, but but yeah, me, I I liked it. I thought it was fun. But I do agree that the runtime is a little bit long. So I mean, it's it, they could have packed it down to an hour and a half, and I would have been okay with it. But uh, it's like an hour forty-eight, hour fifty, so a little bit too long for for me. But otherwise, enjoyable. So you know, think of us your thoughts when you see it. Said. Looking forward to checking it out, and um, uh, hopefully we'll have more to talk about. Maybe even both episodes uh, by the time we reconvene uh, for this very uh, program next Wednesday evening. Correct. All right. Indeed. So, what do you have for us for Harden's? What do you got on the well, plate tonight, Dean? The first, the first thing that I feel uh, is very important. Uh, to just reference here on the program uh, is the passing of Richard Donner. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's a bummer, man. Donner uh, directed so many films that are so very loved um, across uh, so many different genres. Um, you know, Donner dabbled in action and thriller and comedy and horror and superheroes um, and has probably at least one movie uh, in every one of those genres that is deeply loved. So uh, it's a big loss. Uh, He was 91 years old. Uh, Going back, I believe, to the last report I saw was January or February of this year was that uh, Lethal Weapon 5 uh, was a go and that Donner was actually going to direct 
uh, the reports that I had saw had it uh, stated that it was going to be his final film. Um, I believe going back to that time, January, maybe uh, he was, he was just 90 at that point in time. And I remember thinking, man, like homeboy is 90. Uh, if he is going <laughs> to be directing uh, lethal weapon five, which I was also imagining like, yeah, he would be like directing lethal weapon five and be there with a bullhorn in the director's chair, but like wouldn't be doing like the bulk of the heavy lifting. Um, but at 90, like, it's time to get cracking here, you know? Uh, three years ago, they were saying, oh, it's going to be a go, but the, the script is almost done. And, like, you know, everyone is saying, oh, the script is ready, and it's it's so timely, and this and that. Uh, but, you know, uh, you never know what direction uh, things are going to go health-wise. I mean, Clint Eastwood is 91, and uh, he is, like, I almost positive, is, like, currently uh, both directing and, and starring in the project that he is uh, currently working on. So, uh, you just never know, but um, sad to see Donner go. Uh, I have no idea uh, what that does for you know any potential projects uh, that he had been linked to, uh, but but we will see. But you know, big loss. Uh, one of those like like Hollywood elder statesman, like legendary status type dudes from like a totally different era of Hollywood. So um, you know, Bon Voyage, Via Candios. Uh, Richard Donner, thank you for all of the wonderful films uh, that you've provided uh, across our whole lives. Um, you will be missed, or your work will be missed, and your work will live on, uh, because as I'm looking at your filmography right now, uh, there are so many titles here that I have seen so many times and know that I will also continue to see so many times into the future. So uh, that is what I wanted to say about that. Definitely, man. He made us. Uh, he, he made us believe a man could fly, and uh, Hell yeah, I, will, I will certainly. I will never forget that. That is for shit sure. That is that is the movie I watched in honor of him, the original Superman. He made us Good believe choice. a man Good could choice. fly. Uh, he made us believe that the devil was inside a child. child. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, he made he us, also made us believe, believe that, that they we're too old you, for they this shit. You, they fuck you with the drive-in. They fuck you with the drive-in. And um, he made you believe in a pirate ship. And uh, I just need to just reference also here one of my personal favorites. I don't even think I realized this, but he also directed The Toy with Richard Pryor, Scott Schwartz. And Jackson That's a good one. Oh, no sh- no, no um, shit. Yeah. <laughs> That's a good yeah, one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I have to say, man, I, I saw a fucking, <laughs> like, I just felt like when I was a kid, right, that's one of, that's one of the, that's a bizarre fucking movie. And like, <laughs> I, I, I saw it, you know, it came out in, in, in 1982 and was one of those like early premium cable movies that I was watching when I was like eight, nine, ten years old. And uh, that's one that like when you're watching it as a kid and you're relating <laughs> to the kid, like. You're just seeing, like, the funny slapstick humor and, like, buckets of shit being dropped on Richard Pryor's head and all the jokes against him and the Wonder Wheel and, and all of this stuff. And, like, I knew Jackie Gleason from Smokey and the Bandit because that's, like, my, one of my favorite movies ever. And, you know, but that's one of those, though, when you watch it now or, like, as you continue to get older, like, the fucking shit that is being explored in that film is so beyond and so over the top as far as, like, the racial stuff. It's, like, fucking crazy to me that that shit was billed as a fucking kids movie back in the day. 
Um, <laughs> 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 but anyway, uh, we are not here to talk about the toy. Uh, maybe no. that will be my pick for next week, but we'll see. And then I can be like okay. the monkey and hey, pick listen. knock horror movies for our horror movie show. Um, <laughs> so, uh, with that being said, uh, continuing to move on down the line here, uh, apparently, uh, and I did not see any of it, I don't know if any of you guys did, but uh, people were very excited about the HBO uh, season one uh, of their Lovecraft Lovecraft Country uh, series. Uh, season one aired, and from what I understand, was very popular and successful by whatever metrics mm-hmm. uh, they use. And that, what I understand, That's HBO also, uh, was was current yeah. was, was had been developing uh, their second season and everything. But uh, HBO has announced this week that uh, Lovecraft Country is over. Uh, they are not going to be continuing with it. There will not be a season two, uh, and that it is no longer in development. Did they cite any reason why at all, or no? Uh, Not that I saw. I'll take a quick uh, peek uh, to find out if there was. But, uh, you know, what I saw was that, um, you know, that they were in, but then they were out. Let's see. Were they up and then they were down? Uh, They were in and then they were out. It said, it just, here's yeah. their statement. Their statement was, we will not be moving forward with a second season of Lovecraft Country. Uh, we are grateful for the dedication and artistry of the gifted cast and crew. And to the fans, thank you for joining us on this journey. Um, and then, uh, I guess, Misha Green, uh, you know, took to social media to give people a little uh, teaser of what uh, might have been going on in season two. Uh, but yeah, that's it, really. That's all I'm seeing. That they didn't really give any any reason for it, which you know I guess kind of sucks. But I didn't watch it, so not for me. It would have been know, good. I mean, not, would, the show uh, is not yeah. for me, uh, but it doesn't suck for me because I didn't watch it. Well, you know, yeah. <laughs> but it sucks when your show was, gets canceled. Then it does. I was a fan yeah. of the book and I was a fan of the series. So I said, I think it's just like the boys. I haven't canceled. finished that one yet. Um, so, you know, but that's because I found like with every episode that I watched of Lovecraft Country, there was so much to unpack, like every single episode just felt like it was crammed with all kinds of innuendo and fucking story and uh, just, it was a, it was a heady, heady show. Uh, so much so that, 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 again, the ghoul girl didn't even want to watch it anymore, and it's just one where, like, I'd watch it, and then I'd spend, like, the next fucking three hours, like, ruminating over what I might have seen. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was, it was hard to follow. Especially you didn't read the book, because a lot of it has to do with the book, and it always sucks when they do that, where it's like, I never read the book, and then you're like, well, what the fuck is this? And <laughs> it's in the book, and yeah, it's tough, but, yeah, no season two would have been fun, but as it happens... You know, you get into these shows and they cancel it for no reason. Uh, maybe Shudder will pick them up or something. Yeah, we'll see. Maybe Shudder, uh, maybe Netflix. Um, apparently, like, they had the whole season two, uh, like, like, the, like all, like, mapped out. So, uh, might be something that's easy for them to jump into developing. But we'll see what happens. But as of now, uh, good night, sleep tight. 
uh, Lovecraft Country. Um, currently, nice. uh, the Forever Purge uh, is exciting uh, I many people in, in the Purge <laughs> universe uh, had its release uh, last week and uh, people mm-hmm. were into it and uh, all of the time that this film was in production it was being billed as like the final uh, Purge film uh, I had reported on this program, this very program that yeah. the Purge series uh, was not no, going to be continuing in the works uh, but now, James DeMonico, the creator of the Purge shot. franchise, has has said the Forever Purge might not be the last film after all. It's no, the beginning of a trilogy. Just the other night, just the other night, he woke up in the middle of the uh, in the middle of the night and had a new Walking idea. Walking in his sleep, a new idea to to how. He could keep the purge fresh and exciting sure. and continue Ooh. the story. And it was such an exciting idea that he already has put pen to paper and has the entire thing completely outlined out. So uh, if your heart was breaking and you were feeling sad that you would have no more purge in your life, uh be excited because there's some hope that you will once again get to purge. return to the world of the purge. Well, you still have to. You still have a chance to return with the forever purge because that still hasn't even come out yet. Mm-hmm. No, it came yeah, out. It, it came out last week. Oh, did it? Wow. Okay. Yeah. See, if it doesn't come out on streaming these days, I have no fucking clue. <laughs> Yeah, no, it came out. It came out last yeah. week on like uh, Thursday or yeah. Friday. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. Ah. Yeah, I'm gonna wait for it to be on uh, digital or, or on rent. I'm not gonna go see that in the theater. I didn't really like the last one. So, and of course, the Monaco is playing it right though. That's how you do it. You say, "Well, this is the last one, guys. I swear to God, never going back to it. Enjoy it. This is the last." And then as soon as it makes some bank, you're like, "Ah, I'm back in, guys. Ha <laughs> back in." Uh, uh, you you mean they final chaptered it? Mm-hmm. Yeah, because you can't kill off the purge. Not now. Not when it's making money. Jason can come back. <laughs> he said he wasn't coming back, but but he is. Just like Freddy did. Freddy didn't really die in ninety one, no, he came back. Came back in ninety four. Can't kill him off, baby. Not the Fred man, so no, you can't kill the purge. If it makes money, it's gonna come back. We've said this about how oh, many which movies. One, which one was the last one? The first one, right? What, the last one was the first one? Was the last purge yeah. the first purge? No, that was just the purge. The first one was the purge. The last one was, yeah, it was, no, it was uh, the first purge. First purge. Yeah, that was the last That's what one. Yeah, you're right. So the, yeah, you're right. So the yeah. last one was the yeah. first one. Yeah, yeah, and this one's uh, the forever one where they don't know when to stop. So it's like, uh, you know, a whole new trilogy. Like you said, it could be the whole new Star Wars thing. Go back to basically. They just want it to be purge time all the time. They want to go back to like caveman rules. Yeah, why not? You know, hey, listen, people are going to be paying for it, so go ahead and check it out. So, I don't know. I I saw the first, like I said, I saw the first purge and I wasn't very impressed. So, well, I'm just going to kind of wait to see the forever purge. You you just can't kind of worn out by these movies. 
dude, I've been disappointed with the Purge movie since the first one. And I don't mean the movie called the first <laughs> Purge. I mean the very the very that's first Purge film was fairly oh, fucking terrible. I, you know, I don't know. It was one of those okay. where I saw it. I believe I saw it after the second one had come out. But it was one of those where there was so mm-hmm. much fucking hype into it that I was like, okay, yeah. I guess it's a cool, it's a cool concept. I want to see how it's done. I'm hoping that it's at least, you know, uh, violent and bloody. And it just... Uh, it disappointed me on a lot of levels, and that made me sad. But I did watch the first three films, at least. I, I own the first Purge. I just haven't watched the first Purge, like many of the films on my list. Well, the first one was just Ethan Hawke running around the house going, oh, my God, oh, my God, for an hour and a half. Mm-hmm. So at least the second one took you out into the streets and said, okay, this is what's happening. We're going to show you what's happening. The first one was like, it's such a cock tease. Like, oh, man, you're going to see so much violence. Yeah, well, the first one had suspense and character development as opposed to Frank <laughs> Grillo running. I don't even remember which one had Frank Grillo. It was the second or the third one. Third one, election year. Third one. Yeah, where he's, like, yeah. uh, protecting some people but not others. I don't know. It was one of those fucking weird things. It's always weird when they try well, to make a guy that like a villain yeah. a hero. Yeah, that was a yeah. Elizabeth Mitchell was playing a senator who wanted to end the purge, but they, but the new founding fathers didn't. So he had to protect her. And then the purge happened, so he had to run around like Frank Castle for almost two hours, just shooting, and killing people. I mean, it, it's just a fun candy, you know, those type of movies. But at least it gave you something. I like the first one where Ethan Hawke was just sweaty and just screaming the entire time in a bottle movie in a house. This wasn't exciting, wasn't scary, wasn't fun. So they knew what we needed for the sequel. Up the stakes. Indeed. The Halloween kills. All right, Dean, so what's next? <laughs> yeah, okay. October 17th. What do you have next, Dean? So I had talked about previously a film that uh, Elizabeth Banks is going to uh, be directing. And uh, it's a true story. Uh, it involves a drug smuggler named Andrew Carter Thornton uh, from Kentucky. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, he was part of a big drug smuggling ring, and while uh, flying over Knoxville, Tennessee in 1985, um, he attempted to jump out of his plane. Uh, his chute failed to open, and he died. Um, his body was found on, on somebody's driveway, uh, but uh, <laughs> he also jumped and dumped out about 77 pounds of cocaine. And yeah. uh, not long after no. that, uh, they found a, a bear. <laughs> they found a dead bear. And uh, the bear, uh, you know, had attempted to eat about 75 pounds of the cocaine. Um, <laughs> and uh, its stomach was literally packed to the brim with coke. Uh, and they said that the bear obviously was dead, but that uh, it had suffered from the poor bear. had suffered from cerebral hemorrhaging, respiratory yeah. failure, yeah. hypothermia, renal failure. Uh, said, you name it, the bear had it. So anyway, uh, there's going to be a film about this called Cocaine Bear. And I just wanted to give some casting updates uh, because uh, Ray Liotta be about a and Terry bear. Russell – uh, Ray Liotta and Carrie <laughs> Russell have joined the cast. Please tell me Ray Liotta is going to be dressed up as a fucking coked out bear. That's the cocaine bear. Please, please uh, let I, I, be the I, cocaine I bear. I do not know. I do oh not know God, what role he's playing. But uh, <laughs> Ray Liotta has been involved in two other movies that involved uh, the movement of 
large amounts of cocaine. Uh, one being, of course, Goodfellas, and uh, the other being, Karen, of course, Blow. Where, uh, <laughs> he also, Come on, uh, in, a, in, a fun, in a fun bit of casting, he played uh, Johnny Depp's character's father in the cocaine smuggling movie Blow. Uh, so mm-hmm. uh, he here, once again, is stepping back onto the, to the ski mountain uh, with the cocaine bear. Uh, no news on when this film uh, might be released, uh, but production begins August 23rd and we'll be filming in Ireland. So uh, we'll, we'll, we'll be sure to, to keep everyone updated with news of the cocaine bear. And what a selfish bear that was. Like, no, no, no other animals were found, like, dead from cocaine. So he just fucking hogged the entire thing. Like, so you can just imagine yep. a gigantic bear just putting his paws around this whole pile of cocaine. Fuck away from me, rabbits. Chipmunks, this is all mine. I'm going to Tony Montana this shit. Everybody yeah. wants to share the yayo until the yayo is fucking low and then it's fucking stay the yeah, fuck away from me. Yeah, once the yayo starts <laughs> running low, uh, that's when that's when everybody starts disappearing into their own little corners. Uh, <laughs> it starts out starts out as a big old party, uh, but then is then big is fucking people, fat lines everywhere. You know, it's uh, like, oh yeah, right. it's, it's as festive. It's the most festive thing you can think of. And then once it starts to run low, and then you start dialing, and and, and nobody's picking up their phones. The people you need to get in touch with ain't picking up their phones no more, and the supplies running low. The whole thing changes, man. It turns into a fucking column situation, man. Everybody starts putting together real thin fucking lines, stretching that shit out. Can we get another three hours out of this fucking tiny little fucking thing we got in here? Mm Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, yeah. What's the street value of the mountain? Nobody picks up the phone at fucking 3 a.m., man. That's for shit sure. (laughs) Yeah, I can't wait for cocaine. And, 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 uh... (laughs) Ray Liotta is also going to be playing Tony Soprano's father in the prequel movie, The Many Saints of Newark. That's uh, something yeah. to look forward to. So. Yeah, I saw the trailer for that uh, with, his, uh, with his son, Gandolfini's son, playing him. You could see it in the eyes, which is kind of mm-hmm. cool. You yeah. know what I mean? Like, I can see, like, whether it's just by a little bit of, like, extra makeup or if the kid just has his father's eyes, you know, obviously a possibility. Um but that I could say the lower mouth doesn't match up. Um, but no, no. Again, you know, like that's one of those where I'll, uh, I'm going to rewatch the series and, and see where I land on that and then watch that movie. Cause I love the fucking Sopranos. No, huge fan. Watch beginning to end. Even that disappointing series finale. But, uh, I was always hoping that he would live long enough to do another one. Like even if it was a special, like an hour long Sopranos movie or something, but now, Gone too soon, James Gandolfini. Mm-hmm. And John from Cincinnati, which followed the fucking finale. That poor, poor yeah, show. So May rest I in peace. <laughs> I know. I wanted to see that show survive, too. I was a fan of it. Just like Carnival. It was so fucking weird, man. <laughs> yeah, I liked it. I needed that. It's like it, it, oh, we did too, new. but it was like a total death sentence, man. You know, like you, you put on the air right after like what is considered like one of the most shocking style endings at the time that 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 happened. You had more people checking to see if their <laughs> fucking TV or cable broke, let alone trying to watch fucking you know the premiere of John from Cincinnati. <laughs> you know, it was dead from the beginning. It was unfortunate, but. 
All right. So what else do you have for us, Dean? Uh, Noah Hawley's Alien uh, TV series continues to creep along. Um, it's going to begin filming next spring, Holly hopes. Uh, this is going to be uh, billed as something uh, FX on Hulu. Uh, but he did uh, share some details in that, one, uh, while this series is going to be set in the world uh, of the Alien franchise, uh, this this series is not in any way going to include uh, the story or character of Ripley. And uh, in a difference from the films, he says that his series is uh, going to be set on Earth. He said that uh, the alien story uh, has always been contained to like a ship or a prison. Uh, but what happens, uh, you know, when alien, when the alien or xenomorph or whatever can no longer be contained? So that is what his, you know, direction uh, that he's going in. So. And we'll see if this thing happens uh, next spring is still a long way away. Uh, but that's what he is talking about. He's been trying to get this thing going for quite some time. And, uh, you know, with a year, essentially, between now and then, uh, you know, I'm sure there will be other updates uh, as as it continues to go along. So we've talked about that series here on the show before, and I saw that, so I just wanted mm-hmm. to share that uh, with you all. And so it's a series? I know the king... Involving aliens. So it's a series involving the xenomorphs taking place on Earth. Yes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yep, it is. Mm-hmm. What were you going to say about mm-hmm. me, mm-hmm. I was going to say, well, uh, I didn't realize that the, 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 the ghoul had questions about uh, this, so I was just getting ready to talk about uh, your excitement level which I'm sure for my next story is going to be very high. Oh, boy. Do it. Because it encapsulates so many different things that you're a fan of. Oh, boy. Uh, Never-ending story, too? No. (laughs) Uh, But uh, Netflix and Zack Snyder have announced their next project together. And uh, Zack Snyder is going to be uh, developing a science fiction fantasy film uh, for Netflix (laughs) uh, that he will be writing (laughs) and directing. And not only is he creating this sci-fi series uh, for Netflix, uh, the story, which is going to be called Rebel Moon, uh, is actually... Uh, a story that he wrote a decade ago as a Star Wars story, and he actually pitched it uh, to George Lucas uh, before Lucas had sold the Star Wars universe off to Disney. Uh, So uh, while the Netflix version of Rebel Moon is not going to be a Star Wars film, uh, you know, the idea, the genesis of this started as a Star Wars film. So Zack Snyder, Star Wars sci-fi fantasy, all the things that uh, I know make the king so very happy. So I just, I couldn't wait to talk about this story. Well, there you go. There you go, bro. He's fucking with your shit now. Yeah, he's fucking with your shit now. Welcome to it, pal. Not necessarily, man. No, it's just a story that originated as a Star Wars story. It's not a Star Wars story, so he's really not fucking with anything, man. 
And I welcome that kind yeah, of science. Anyway, man, you know, let let it get creative. I'd love to. See, I hope that whatever comes out, I can see where it would have fit into the Star Wars universe. That would be kind of cool. Three hours of plot holes. Can't wait. There you have it. <laughs> I'm sure <laughs> it's going to be well written and highly <laughs> intelligent. Yeah. Well, uh, you know, you know, you know, too. I, like, and look, let's be real. There are all there are plenty of films that that all of us actually love that are dumb and stupid and full of plot holes and mm-hmm. you know things that we can pick away at till the ends of the earth. And and for whatever the reason is, we we love them anyway. And I'm sure, uh, I'm sure, Ghoul, you have your own list. I have my own list. King, you have your own list of those films that fall under oh, that yeah. description. And. Uh, you know, one of the things, and I don't, and if if I if I if I talked about this idea back when we talked about Army of the Dead, please stop me. Uh, but I feel like even a film like Army of the Dead, right, which you know we all agreed was by no stretch of the imagination a great film, I do it's feel that. No, no, I know that it does. But the point that the point that I was going to make is that, you know, for me, you know, that's one of I I see I see Army of the Dead as one of those films where if I'm like laying on the couch on a fucking rainy weekend and I'm not doing shit and I'm flipping channels and, oh, hey, there it is on fucking TBS or fucking FX. I'm going to fucking stick with be. it. Uh, I'm but never it going be. to go seek it out. No, that's what I'm, but that's my Netflix, point. Like, I'm never going to go seek it out on Netflix. I, mm-hmm. Unless, you know, with Netflix getting so much into its own original content, unless at some point they start to like sell the rights to their shit to like a TBS or something to air. And I'm not talking about selling to like an HBO or something that they're competing with, but like to a network, um, you know, I feel like the, they just, they don't have legs. Like there are movies that I've seen 25 years ago or 30 years ago that I'm like, Oh, this is a dumb fucking movie, but I like it. And like, if I'm flipping oh, channels and Oh, <laughs> Hey, that's a dumb fucking movie, but I like it. So I'm going to watch it. But, like, I wouldn't necessarily search it out on a streaming service to see it. Like, I just feel like a lot of this original Netflix content isn't going to have a life like that because there's so much new content that is coming constantly that there's nowhere where you're just going to stumble upon it and, and give it a life and continue to watch it. I don't know. It's just like a weird thing I've been thinking about lately. I, uh, I agree. I think it is one of the uh, one of the more problematic things that you find with uh, the specific streaming uh, especially when you have a large library with which you are streaming as well, you know, because there's only so much that they can show you on their, their screen and there's only so much you're going to really seek out, you know. Uh, and there's only so much that you're going to see because of the algorithm. Exactly. You know, there's only so much that it's going to yeah. show me when I'm just browsing so if I'm not seeking out specific things and delving deep down into their lists, praying, of course, because I'm sure we've all dealt with this, you start going through that kind of thing. You start going through those kind of lists. You get into the deeper fucking portion of the library, and then that shit crashes on you. Then you're like, oh, yeah, like I'm going to fucking do all that again. Um, I've, never had, I've know, never had that, but like I find when I'm like, oh, I'm going to see uh, what's on Netflix and what I'm going to watch, like, there have been times where I spend like just time fucking scrolling and never actually fucking selecting something. Um, mm-hmm. And I'm just fucking scrolling away looking for something. It's like, it's like a weird thing that happens. 
add shit to your list and then you never think to go check your list when it's fucking, you know, time that you're actually looking for something. I do that all the time, <laughs> yeah, man. Yep. I add things to list and yeah, then I actually never shit on my go list. to that list. Yeah, those are my here's here's I'm gonna save thing to my 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 never ending list of things that I'm never gonna fucking watch. I got I got I got seven streaming <laughs> services and seven lists of things I'm never gonna see. Uh-huh. <laughs> Pretty much, man. Yeah. Well, anyway, okay, that's what Snyder has going on. Exactly, and uh, you know, no time frame for when for when this will this will hit Netflix. Um, but I'm sure we'll be hearing uh, more about it as the time draws near. Uh, last week, right here uh, on Talking Terror in this very segment, I talked about how there was going to be an officially licensed uh, John Carpenter Halloween uh, pinball machine, and I now have some uh, additional information to provide about the John Carpenter officially licensed Halloween pinball machine. First, uh, this Ooh. is going to be limited to 1,250 units. Uh, as of 9 o'clock this morning, uh, they have been available for pre-order. Uh, now, there's a, I, I, I don't know how the world of pinball works, but this is the concept here. Um, there's going to be three different editions. Hmm. There's one that's called, being called the Collector's Edition that's going for the low, low price of $8,995. Then there is the Bloodsucker edition, which that title makes no sense to me in the world of Halloween, but the Bloodsucker edition is going for $7,995. And then the standard edition is going for $6,995. And uh, the only difference that I can find between these editions is the order in which they're going to be constructed. Now, uh, what's interesting about the construction plan is that uh, there is no set amount for each of these additions. They're making 1,250, and if 1,000 people order the collector's edition and, you know, 100 people order the bloodsucker and 150 order the standard, like that's how, there's gonna, that's how many there's going to be of each. Uh, so there's no... Uh, like equal amount of it's like the demand and the orders are going to tell uh, the tale of how many of each editions there's going uh, to, to be. So uh, that's how they're doing that. And apparently uh, this pinball machine is going to feature uh, a custom knife handled shooter rod. Uh, there's going to be multiple hiding Michael Myers in the scenery, uh, flashing pumpkin sculptures, uh, uh, Judith Myers, tombstone and they even were able to get uh the lovely and beautiful pj souls uh to record uh the phrase totally awesome score uh to feature uh when you play as well so if you got seven eight or nine thousand dollars uh laying around to spare and you're a fan of pinball and a fan of Halloween, uh, and you've always dreamed of having an officially licensed Halloween pinball machine, uh, the time has come for your dreams to come true. If I had that kind of money, you, I would have it. You, too, could be a pinball wizard. <laughs> you, too, that can be a pinball wizard. Totally awesome. Yes. Also, in the world of Halloween, uh, Screen Factory... Uh, this September, September 28th, uh, has announced uh, that they're going to be putting out 
uh, 4K ultra high definition editions of the first five uh, Halloween films. Uh, apparently, there's going to be uh, nothing new to these editions uh, compared to the previous set that they put out, aside from the 4K scans and uh, the Dolby Atmos uh, Atmos soundtracks uh, that they're creating. But uh, the movie, the music for these films uh, has been uh, newly recorded by John and Cody Carpenter, uh, and they're going to be uh, releasing uh, these as seven-inch vinyl records, um, and you can get it all as a box set for the low, low price of $245.99. And if you want to bump up your edition uh, to include a set of enamel pins, uh, you can get that for uh, the price of $299.99. Uh, I will say uh, that this set, to me, where um, I was equally as excited for the Friday the 13th uh, stream set as I am not excited uh, for this set. Um, this sounds to me to be uh, wildly, wildly overpriced compared to uh, the Friday the 13th yeah. set. Uh, a seven-inch vinyl record is like one song on one side and then something on the B side. These are not like full film score soundtracks um, that are coming out on vinyl. Um, these are just seven-inch records, uh, 45s essentially. Um, this does not excite yeah. me. Um, I will be. I will be. Uh, this is a hard pass for me on this one. Uh, if anyone else out there is excited, have at it. Uh, I will not be on the digital line for my copy. This is. This will be a pass for me. Hard yeah, pass for me. Yeah, I know. I would have gotten the box set if they had an option that just gave you the movies <laughs> and the posters. You know, it's the fact yeah. that. Oh, that's right. Sorry, I forgot to mention to... the posters. I apologize. Um, you know, the fact that they don't have uh, an option that doesn't include the vinyl, you know, like, I don't know, why isn't there like a buck 75 or a buck 50 option that'll just give me the five movies? Yeah, but even, but even with that, even with that, I'm not going that. I, I, I hear, I hear your point. Your point is well taken, but I feel like even for just the five films at that price range, I'm not going to. And then what, like, a year from now, they're going to announce like a full-on set equivalent to the Friday the 13th set with everything in the Halloween universe. Um, of course. I, I, you know, so I am not one. Again, it, it, when it comes to films, like buying tangible hand media in the hand is not something I do anymore. Uh, I made a special exception for that beautiful Friday the 13th set. And if they put out an equivalent Halloween set, uh, I would probably do the same. Um, but this Which is I not the set have. for me. <laughs> They had a Blu-ray oh, you, set. Oh, you have, their, you have their previous the Hall- set? I have the set that has all of the Halloween films on Blu-ray, including the two Rob Zombie movies. The only movie it's lacking is the 2018 film. Is it? Is it, yeah. is it a Scream Factory? Uh, yeah, no, I don't believe it is. I mean, it could be. I don't think so. It was actually it was like a Christmas gift. Right. Off the no, I, think I was reading that the, previous, that the previous Halloween set uh, on the secondary market these days is going for like a thousand bucks. Um, so anyway, yeah, they want high prices uh, for that one. Yeah, but that's because uh, that, as when far that as the Halloween movies out, are concerned, yeah. um, I do have. Dean, I do let the have, king say yeah. something for the love of God. Let the king finish. Sorry, I apologize. <laughs> no, it's fine. No, no I, when that set came out, it was already going for a steep price. 
The only reason I wanted it was because of the producer's cut of part six, and then they eventually released that as a solo disc on Blu-ray. So don't even need the box set. They released it on a separate standalone Blu-ray that I have, along with my other two copies. So, you know, these, these box sets come out, and then they find ways to release other cuts of it. So if people want them, they can just hang tight, because I guarantee you within a year or two, they're going to release them in single, you know, editions. Go oh, ahead. Fuck. So this just in. Uh, hmm. Shit. Halloween 6 still sucks. Okay. Sorry. Ah, it does. Continue. Sorry. Yeah, see you guys. Nope. I still love it, so fuck off. <laughs> it's still one of my favorites. Stand by that movie. I'll die on that hill. Always. Yeah, man. So... I would have to look it up. I have, you know, that I that I that I did keep. I have a one of the special editions that was, uh, you know, put out uh, for Halloween at some point. It has the uh, original film, and it has then like the TV version of the original film uh, with all of that extra footage that they put in for the TV, uh, the TV airing. And I think it also has uh, the second film as well, and it comes. Uh, in a, it's like a three-dimensional uh, box set, and like the front of it is like a shadow box window with a Michael Myers mask on the inside. Um, mm-hmm. I have that yeah. set, and um, you know that's that's you know I don't need anything additional to that. Uh, you know at, no. at this time, um, you know and again, like I said, I stand by my statement. If uh, they do a set equivalent to the Friday the Thirteenth set, then that would be something for me to examine at that time. All right, so that is by cool. There. And then uh, I, have, I know that the King of Horror was truly, and this I say this with no sarcasm, um, was ex- is is ex- very excited for uh, Edgar Wright's last night in Soho, uh, mm-hmm. upcoming uh, horror film. Uh, you're just unfortunately going to have to wait a little bit longer because where I this know. film was originally stated to come out on October 22nd of this year, uh, and has been pushed back just a little bit uh, to uh, two days before Halloween to October 29th. Uh, No reason uh, has been given uh, for the change of the date, but some believe that uh, they didn't want to put it up against uh, the Dune film, uh, which is coming on the 22nd, I think both to theaters and HBO Max, um, and as well as coming right on the heels of Halloween Kills. Uh, But when they put it to the 29th, uh, it's also uh, coming out on the same date that I guess there's something called Antlers uh, that there's some hype about for the genre. So uh, you just have to wait one extra week for your opportunity to see uh, The Last Night in Soho. I'll be in the theater for that one. That's a theater watch for me. I can't wait. I love Edgar Wright, so So, that trailer sold me. I'll be in the theater for that one. October will be a busy month. Uh, Antlers, Halloween Kills, and also Last Night in Soho. October's going to be busy. So uh, I knew that the King of Horror uh, was going to want to hear about that. And then uh, the final thing uh, that I want to talk about, uh, you know, we we all know and have talked about at length how uh, the original Night of the Living Dead, uh, you know, is in the public domain. So anybody can do anything that they want with it. They can air it. They can screen mm-hmm. it. They can produce their own DVDs, they, whatever you can fucking do whatever you want to it. Uh, we have talked about on this very program, uh, 
come out how there's going to be uh, the Night of the Animated Dead, which is actually going to be an animated version. Uh, but uh, there is actually something uh, that is on the docket right now that is called Night of the Living Dead 2. Uh, now, they're free to go ahead and do what they want with that title because of its status yeah. as a public domain film. Uh, but uh, from what I was looking at, the the plot uh, that goes along with Night of the Living Dead 2 says that it uh, takes place on an island uh, you know, where survivors of the zombie apocalypse uh, have been living until ultimately, as they always do, uh, the undead find their way ashore. The interesting wrinkle is that at the end of Day of the Dead, George Romero's masterpiece, uh, Lurie Cardill, uh, Terry Alexander, and Jarlis Conroy all escape on a helicopter uh, to go live on an island, and all three of those performers are going to be in Night of the Living Dead Part 2. So uh, that begs the question, is this actually a sequel to the original Day of the Dead, but they can't call it that because of rights, so this is going to be Night of the Living Dead 2. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that could, yeah, it could be. You just call it Day of the Living Dead. There you go. So, <laughs> I mean, that way you could skirt those issues of those rights of Day of the Dead. It's called Day of the Living Dead, but yeah, who knows? I mean, yeah, unless Russo owns that, though. No, he doesn't own right. it. He only owns the, the Night of the Living Dead, so I know that much. Well, no, so, you don't you know, know what other names he might have reached out to purchase cheaply. You know what I mean? When he realized right. that he could lock those things down. Um, so ownership of certain things might be in play there. <laughs> I mean, it depends on what he owns. Yes. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I'm, I'm I'm sure he doesn't own that. I mean, it, I mean, but who knows? Maybe they explored that. I mean, either way, I'm 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 excited for it because you're bringing back the original crew of Day of the Dead, and I do love Day of the Dead. I mean, I, I, I of course, you know, I mean, I think that trilogy is amazing. You know, I love Dawn more, but Day is still a masterpiece of a film. I I don't disagree there. So <clears throat> to see those three return for Night of the Living Dead two is pretty great. I know that. I'm going to assume that they're playing uh, Sarah, Flyboy, and Bill. Uh, you know, that well, uh, and being that they ended Day of the Dead on an island, uh, you know, mm. we'll see what happens. But, like, it, it, it has, you know, like a little bit of my, uh, you know, raised a little bit of my radar. And I'm, you know, curious yeah. to see um, what comes of it. And, uh, radar and yeah, engaged. Well, we will see what happens. And I found that the, the, um, the Halloween set that I was just talking about was the, uh, the 30th anniversary, uh, commemorative set, um, that has the shadow box, uh, with, with the mask. So, Sharing sharing that to the group if anybody cares to. That's a rare one. Take yeah, a look at what it is. I'm talking about. Okay. Well, all right. So there we have it. So all right. So as we go into the movie tonight, it is the Ghoul's pick of the week, The Stepfather from 1987, directed by Joseph Rubin. Why don't you take us away, Ghoul? Stepfather kills people. Mm-hmm. The stepfather. 
Oh, Godfather. Uh, yeah, I mean, listen, this is uh, yeah, 80s classic, you know, in, in, in my sense of the word, as far as any kind of, like, rental type of deal. This had a lot of play on cable. Um, for me, I was actually introduced into this series uh, from the sequel, not the original film. Uh, I remember mm-hmm. specifically reading up in Fangoria magazine uh, about the, uh, the the sequel before it had uh, really released and being real interested in it and seeing all the images and the pictures from the, the film made me think that it was going to be something like bloody on, you know, on the same level as like Friday the 13th and stuff like that. And uh, I remember the sequel came out. I, I watched that on cable and I, I've seen this first one only like one other time. And even that might not have been to completion. So this is almost like the first time I'm watching this one, even though I've seen the sequel and I think even the third movie like a, a thousand times. Mm-hmm. Okay. All right. So, uh, Dean, what do you think about the stepfather? Uh, you know, as I'm watching the stepfather, I am beating myself over the head, trying to remember if I had seen this before uh, or not. Um, and I'm still, honestly, I'm still inconclusive uh, to that question. Now. Last week, when the ghoul announced that the stepfather was the pick for this week, I had in my head, like, I was like, oh, the stepfather, I've totally seen that. But then when I was watching this film, whatever it was that I was thinking of that I had seen is a different movie. And I know in our group I asked if this week's pick was Basket Case or uh, the stepfather, but that's not the film that I was thinking of. I just couldn't remember what I was getting down to, to, to watch. Yeah, I can't remember what film I'm thinking of, but the film that I'm thinking of is the film that I like mentally attached to a million years ago, the title The Stepfather, which obviously I was wrong. Um, Do you know any of the performers from said, that film? Nothing, nothing. I got nothing, dude. You don't, you don't um, remember anything. Believe me, I've been really nothing. I got nothing. Um, so, uh, not remembering either if, if I've seen this film before or not, which I know is a strange thing to say, to watch a whole movie and not remember if you had seen it before or not. Uh, I found uh, that this is a film that, you know, you know works, uh, you know, as a dated, effective thriller. Uh, you, know, I, you know, looking at it uh, now, I, I see this film as more of like a, a violent thriller. Uh, this is a film, I mean, given it's 1987 release time, that puts me at 11. Uh, this is a film that if I saw then, in that time frame, uh, that would have scared the shit out of me and I would have thought it was excellent. Um, <laughs> or starting. Um, so, you know, I liked, I liked getting to, to see it. And, you know, Ghoul, when you say, oh, maybe, maybe you're, it's, uh, maybe what I'm thinking of is even Stepfather 2 or Stepfather 3. Like, I'm not even sure. Um, I would have to, like, kind of look at those to find out. The only reason I ask is because, like I said, for me, I actually attached this franchise to the sequel um, more than this film. The sequel in particular, but the things that I remember about it, one, it had Meg Foster in it. And her eyes always creeped me out so much that, like, it, like, fucking, Mm -hmm. like, it's like singed it into my head that she's in yeah, the franchise. Yeah, she's the one. She's the redhead from They Live, right? 
Yes, yes. And then the kid in The Stepfather 2 was actually Jonathan Brandis, who, you know, sidekicks, <laughs> yes, uh, Never yes. Ending Story 2. Of course. All of those Jonathan films. So it's like, so no, it's definitely not that. Maybe it is. Maybe it is. Um, but anyway, uh, so, you know, I, I, I certainly enjoyed getting a chance to watch The Stepfather. I know it's, you know, highly regarded from its era. Um, it's obviously uh, tremendously dated. Uh, as are much, many films from that time period, but I don't think that that took away uh, from its effectiveness, you know, as a as a violent suspense thriller. Um, uh, you know, this is the kind of film that, you know, watching it now, uh, it's, you know, hard to take it a hundred percent seriously. But again, this is a film that if I saw when I was a kid, I would have ta- I would have taken this like a hundred percent seriously. Um, so I enjoyed getting a chance to see it. Um, is this a film that I can sit here and say, oh? I can't wait to like revisit the stepfather uh, one day. No, but I was certainly, uh, you know, happy to watch it and, and, and please watch it. Okay. What about you? Yeah, um, the stepfather for me was a movie that I used to watch a lot when I was younger. Uh, Cause it was on rotation on the cable on HBO back in the day. So when I would come home from school, you know, it'd be on and I would watch it because I just, for some reason was a big fan of Terry O'Quinn without really knowing him from anything other than silver bullet which came out two years before in 85. Um, so to see him in this movie playing a uh, psychopath uh, with Jill Sholin as playing the daughter, Stephanie, who I knew from Phantom of the Opera and Popcorn and Cutting Class, which is famous for being Brad Pitt's, one of his first films. And it's a, a high school slasher, uh, which is actually pretty fun. I know yes, I know that film. Film. And, and <laughs> yeah. also, she was also uh, Angela Shepherd. Um, you know, if you're up in, in the in the world of Essie Hinton, uh, she also played Angela Shepherd in the uh, film adaptation of That Was Then, This Is Now. With Emilio Estevez, yeah. That's a good one. I'm actually a fan of that movie and the book. Uh, so, yeah, it's, it's a great thriller, like we've all said. It's not really a horror film per se, but it's a, it's a thriller. And Terry O'Quinn really manages to, to keep you going throughout the entire film because of just how quickly he can turn on a dime, you know, just be the friendly Jerry Blake who's selling houses. And then the next second he's in his basement, you know, pounding hammers into his fist, wondering how he's going to kill his new family, you know, and, and uh, you know, it's just, it's a fun movie. Um, as far as it aging very well, I mean, it's very much a product of his time. It's 87. So I mean, you take it for what it's worth, you know, the cheesy music yes. and, and the style of the whole thing. But, you know, as, as a whole, I think people could watch this movie now and, and find it just as entertaining. Um, as it was back then. The sequels, part two, uh, Make Room for Daddy with uh, Meg Foster and Jonathan Brandis, uh, much more violent, so they definitely had to up that up. Carolyn Williams from Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2, uh, playing a famous victim in that one. Um, and then also the third film, uh, Tara Quinn stepped out. So Robert Reitman took over in 92 to play the character that he played in the previous two. Not very good movie. But then, of course, the remake in 2009 with D- oh, Dylan Walsh. Fucking unwatchable. So... This, is it, that, is this it really bad? Makes, like, I, I haven't seen it. So. Oh, it's, it's lifetime movie bad. Where it's like, it, it's just, it would be suitable for lifetime. Like an 8 o'clock Saturday, like, uh, night movie. Like, it's not scary. It's not engaging. It's just very much like a lifetime movie. So if you want to watch it, you can. But I saw that in the theater. I was like, oh, man. Like, this is, why am I paying to see this? I could just watch it in a lifetime. You know, it's one of those where, like, you know, one, knowing the source material, I've kind of always mm-hmm. stayed away from it, even though I like Dylan Walsh as an actor. Um, 
you know, a, uh, it was great nip tuck, which, you know, was going on oh, when yeah, that came out or yeah. it just ended one or the other. Um, yeah. And then, you know, like even more recently, I saw it has Amber Heard in it. So she's always eye candy. Uh, but yeah, something's always kept me, uh, kept me away from, from that film. And I guess it was, uh, obviously it's just a good, good decision. Yeah. It's, it's one of those movies where if it's on for free and you have nothing better to do for your day, then put it on, you know, but otherwise it's not worth seeking out. Like this first one that we're, we're covering the 87 version. It's just, it's so superior to me in a lot of ways. I mean, even from the beginning of the movie, where you're getting Jerry Blake, as we know him in the movie, from the start, Henry Morrison, cleaning up his house. And then you're getting the little clues of the blood on the walls and the handprints, and he's picking up the toys. And then the next thing you know, as he's all cleaned up without his beard and his glasses, he's leaving the house, and there's just fucking bodies everywhere. Like, this is a massacre. And he's just leaving the house, whistling Campdown Girls. Just walking down the street, no car, no nothing. Just, ah, starting the new life. Like, you know, just... The, the, just what he did was insane. And, of course, not to be remiss, this is based on John List, who in 1971 in Westfield, New Jersey, did the exact same thing to his family, and then disappeared until 89 when he was finally caught for the, the, the butchering of his family. So this is kind of a loose adaptation on it. Yeah, and, I mean, I figure, obviously, he also is, like, representative of other types of serial killers as well. You know, guys who are going to... Like they say, how many times do you see these guys end up having, you know, like they, they have their periods of time where they're inactive and you find out because, mm-hmm. you know, they, they had some kind of relationship in which they actually were trying to function as normal people for a while. But like the ID channel always tells us, you know, that piece was not to last. He would hunt again. <laughs> um, you know, so, so yeah, watching him go, go through this, tra- you know, transformation and everything it, it is great. Um, you know, this, this, again, comes also from a time in the 80s where, yes, this is considered a horror movie because during certain points of the 80s, thrillers were horror. You know, this is all prior to Silence yeah. of the yeah. Lambs getting an Oscar. So this movie sat <laughs> in the horror section of, you know, it didn't sit with dramas like Wall Street and shit like that. This was no, in the horror no. section. And I guess, you know, obviously because of the gore, um, but like I said, too, you know, like my introduction to this was through Fangoria magazine. So so they were covering mm-hmm. it as well. But, uh, yeah, you know, like seeing this big mess of bodies and everything, though, gets me excited early on. And I'm like, yeah, you know what, man, I hope we get to witness something at least close to this. And, uh, and yeah, and then we go on. <laughs> yeah, it's just it, it's one of those things where it's like a great set piece. And you're like, okay, this is the pace. Like this is him destroying an entire family. Kids are not off limits. You know, let's see what he's going to come up with next when he moves on to his new family, you know, where he's dumping his, his uh, belongings into the water. And then we cut to a year later, and he's with the main family. We have Susan and daughter Stephanie. This is a year later, and we find out that he's married to Susan now. So it's like, okay, so she lost her husband. There's no time frame. So I just kept thinking, was he at the funeral? Was he just kind of standing in the background going, uh, hey, so uh, if you need a shoulder to lean on, uh, I like families. Like, you know, it's like. Such a sudden thing where she's like, oh, I'm married now. And my husband died recently, like so recently that the daughter still has a picture of him on her nightstand. Like she when she's says, trying to go to bed at night. It's been a year. It's been a year since the father died. The mom, like, really mm-hmm. moved So she off. moved up real fast. Like, you <laughs> yeah. would think that we're in, like, the 1700s where it's like, you need to marry or you're going to lose your land, lady. You know what I mean? Like, that kind of deal. 
well, even when, when Stephanie's kind of talking to her therapist about it, and she's like, I just don't like him. There's something I don't like about him. And the therapist is like, well, your mom's lonely. You know I mean? She needs to move on. Like, it's been a year. Like, how much, what, a day or two? Like, and all of a sudden she's like, look at this Mama guy. Dukes needs to like, D. She needed to move on fast. Like, she did not want to rake at all. You know, even though she's desperately trying to do it by herself, and when we see Jerry pull up in the car, bringing the dog into the situation, I was like, oh, here comes the dog. So that's probably going to die at some point. <laughs> nope. Luckily, you know, we can say that early. That little pup, you know, manages to make it through. But it's him trying to win over Stephanie's affections, and he just doesn't get it. Like, we're supposed to be a family, and she's very standoffish because she only had, like, what, a week to grieve her father before her mom moved on? I'm kind of with Stephanie. <laughs> mom, could you have waited a month? Like, a month. But now you're moving this guy in who we barely know. He has no past. He has no pictures. He has nothing. He just showed up one day. Why isn't anybody asking do questions? You even, <laughs> you know? Do you even know his name, Mom? Well, we're going to find out later, yeah. though, that he sets all of this stuff up. You know what I mean? So that it's, it's meticulously mm-hmm. planned to where he is early... Yeah, it's early designs. You know, he gets himself established in the yeah. community for however much time before, you know, finding whichever woman he's gonna gonna bed down and, and take to the sheets. Uh, but <laughs> you know, yeah, this movie, in a lot of ways, too, speaks to the fear that people started having in the 80s of the loss of the American family. You know, that whole mm-hmm. idea of like the, the perfect the perfect American society of the 50s, you know, obviously went away with the turmoil of the 60s and, you know, didn't get any better with just the chaos and mess that was the 70s. And now here we are in the 80s. You got, you know, Reagan preaching whatever he's preaching. The Russians are coming to fucking kill us unless he can figure something out. And, you know, the whole idea that the American family is is gone is, is what this whole film is about. I mean, here we have a main character who his entire, you know, thing, all he really wants is just picture-perfect American family. Yeah, and that, that's really what, what drives him. I mean, even though he's a psychopath, really that's, that's what he wants. Like, he just wants a family that's not going to disappoint him. You know, he wants that daughter who's perfect and chaste in every single way and the, the doting wife. You know, they have that one scene towards the end where he's looking at the family across the street, and it's a little girl and, and a husband and a wife, and that's kind of what he wants, just not what he's getting. You know, he, he hitched his wagon up to the wrong family because the wife just hopped right on that train without really grieving, you know, the, the previous husband long enough for the, the daughter to be like, okay, mom, you got to move on now. Like, it's been, a, it's been two years. I think you can move on, you know, from dad. And you want him back. No, she moved right on. So we have Jerry kind of trying to, to build a perfect family, but Stephanie is acting out in school. She's getting expelled. She wants to leave. But, of course, that's, that's not what Jerry wants. He wants that family to get together. So him walking into that school going, yeah, let's talk about it. I deal with lost causes. And the next thing you know, she's back in school. So. He has a charming way about him, which is why I think that Terry O'Quinn is so perfect for this role. Like, he's the perfect guy that you would think would sell a house. Like, and you could see him breaking, too, when he's at the house selling the house to the family. And he's pushing the girl in the swing. And he's like, oh, yeah, my, my daughter Stephanie, she goes to Oakside High. And, yeah, she's, oh, she's great. And she's like, oh, okay. And he goes, yeah, Jill, she's fun. Well, who's Jill? Oh, did I say Jill? <laughs> you know? And you just see that dark 
this cloud go over his face. Where now all of a sudden you were thinking the next scene that family's going to be tied up in the basement downstairs of his house. He's going to be beating on him. You know, every now and then. Little, little girl's going to be like strung up somewhere. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You know my secret. <laughs> now I got to put you in the basement. Um, but we're also going to introduce to uh, Jim Ogilvy, who is the brother of the wife of Henry, who had, he had killed in the beginning. To me, Jim Ogilvy is pretty much our Rob Dyer from Friday 4. This is our Rob Dyer, but just different situation. He's not hunting Jason. He's hunting Henry. From learning how to use a gun to talking to a reporter about getting his face and getting his name out there, reopening the case, like, it, it's so perfect. Like, if you watch Friday the 13th Part 4 and then you watch this movie, it's like they could be partners. Like, they could be like an 80s cop drama. You know, Jim mm-hmm. Rob, hunting down killers and not doing a very good job of it. Oh, Rob. Yeah, no, definitely. You know, yeah, he, I don't know. I guess, you know, his sister was, was one of the victims and blah, blah, blah. Yeah. I mean, it was, it was mm-hmm. literally the exact same fucking thing. I mean, it might as well have been my, oh, my sister yeah. Sandra. These are for hunting bear. <laughs> yeah. And then, you know, he, he's relying on Brennan, the reporter, to reopen the case and put the story back out there, get his picture out there so people know that he, he escaped. But the whole thing with Jim is that he opens up that map and he's like, well, obviously he thought this whole thing out. And, and you know, this is the radius that he's in. And it's just a big red circle on a map. I was like, how are you so sure that the guy didn't flee the country? He didn't go to the opposite side of the United States. Like, you were just so sure that he just never left that he didn't take another state to, to move to. No, he's got to be here. This is, this is the place. Like, oh, he knows. You know, you know, it's just you, you were just not going to do too well. And then when the reporter runs the story, he doesn't put the picture in there. Jim's all upset about it. What the hell, man? He didn't put the picture in there. He's like, listen, what do you want me to do? I told him to run it. They, they did it. What, do you, what else do you want from me? Like, well, damn it. Nobody's going to know what it looks like now. That's the least of your problems, buddy. You know, you're living in the house where your, where your sister got butchered with your nieces and nephews. I don't, I don't know if you're doing too well, Jim. But, hey, listen, you know, go, go figure things out. You know, it's, it's him trying to be the hero and just not doing very good at it. I mean, even the cops are telling him to go away. Like, I love the lieutenant who was like, you know, if it were me, I would just get a gun and just blow him away. <laughs> good old 80s detective work. <laughs> we don't have time. So my recommendation, just get a gun and kill him. Yeah, vigilanteism. It was completely the uh, all the rage back then. Yeah, you know, and it just it kind of made sense, like in that Dirty Harry kind of way, and just you know, we can't do anything because we don't have the evidence. So street justice, man. And then the next thing you see him shooting that gun, and you're like, okay, this gun's going to come into play at some point because he's training. You know, he's not just picking up a gun and then shooting it. Obviously, he needs to train first. So have a little bit of a montage of that, you know, cut with back to the party with all of the people that Jerry sold homes to. And, hey, did you see the article in the newspaper about this guy that killed his family? Oh, it's fucked up, man. And, oh, yeah, just, <laughs> oh, I don't understand how somebody could do this to a family. But I'll be right back. I got to go to the basement real fast. Okay. That's where he goes and beats on the family that he kidnapped in the previous scene. <laughs> no, no, he just has a complete fucking meltdown, which again, Terry O'Quinn really owned that scene, where he's just trashing everything, and he's screaming, and he's just going off in hysterics, and as soon as Stephanie comes down the stairs, oh, hey, a pumpkin, what's up? Um, nothing? You just having a tantrum down here? Yeah, yeah, 
Yep, just how, uh, you know, I let off some steam. <laughs> you know how it is, right? Okay, see you later, pumpkin. I, I, I would have ran out of that house and never came back. Like, Mom, I'm, I'm going to stay at Susie's for, like, a solid week. Yeah, except she kept trying, man. And, and, you know, unfortunately, Jerry here seems to have some kind of, like, fucking power or possession over the mom. But, you know, like, scary and sad as it may sound, this, for the most part, is like me on a fucking daily basis with my job. <laughs> you know, like, I, mm-hmm. I, I end up going to, to some of these jobs that it's so disappointing that, like, I'll be either it'll be the customer or it'll be something that one of my guys did or whatever. But I, like, there's, there's times where I kind of wish but don't that I, like, put my phone on record for, like, my meltdowns mm-hmm. that I have because there are times <laughs> where I am just sitting there yelling and screaming and just going off on every fucking possible conceivable thing with what goes on at my job and everybody around me. Right. And, uh, and yeah, it can't be healthy because I mean, you know, like the, the anger level is definitely like above and beyond what, what like the normal human being should be. No. And I've had those situations too, though, with, with my job and, and my situation and things like that, where, yeah, I just, I could literally just be hitting a wall over and over again and screaming on top of my lungs and cursing the world, you know, but at the same time, you know, when somebody walks in, I'm like, Oh, Hey, what's going on? You know, no, I need like, you know, luckily I live by myself. I don't have to worry about it, but I would need like a two second come down. Like I'd have to be like, all right, you need to go away for a second. Like just give me a second to, to breathe because I just, you know, throwing a tantrum over here. But the way, you know, Jerry handles it, he's just, oh, hey, you know, <laughs> just that, that smile is, you know, looking at her as she runs back out of the, the basement with the ice, you know, and uh, uh, just, again, like I said, Terry Quinn really just works it for me. But of course she uses that article the right to the Seattle Examiner to get that really great 8x10 photo of Jerry Blake when he had his beard and his frizzy hair. I was like, it's just mm-hmm. a photo. Glamour <laughs> shot. It was just missing an autograph. <laughs> it was just missing an autograph. To the Seattle Herald, you kill me, Jerry Blake. Uh, you know, just something like that, you know. But, of course, Jerry's the one that reaches the mail first, and when he sees that, oh, shit, what am I going to do? She's kind of on to me, so I'm just going to hold that back. And Oh, I see you're up to something, huh? Well, what do you mean? Well, there's something that came for you. What is it? Uh, Cosmo. Ha, <laughs> ha, Jerry, you, you kill me. <laughs> you know, he's so quick with that envelope. Where, you know, he just manages to swip it away real fast so he could swipe it out with another picture of Robert Reed for some reason. So when Stephanie finally <laughs> does get the envelope, it's the guy from fucking, you know, Brady Bunch. <laughs> you know, I don't know why, but it is. Um, but it's just his quick thinking, you know, like you said, he's, his mind is constantly working. You know, he's a guy that clearly knows how to plan out things, knows how to move forward with situations. So this is just another one. Um, and the entire time, Bondurant, the therapist, is Stephanie wants to meet with him. And, of course, Jerry wants nothing to fucking do with him. What do I want to do with you? Like, I have nothing to say to you. Just go away. And even Susan's like, well, why do you want to talk to him? I have nothing to say to him. Tell him not home. And if he wants to know where I am, just don't tell him where I am. Like, Talk to the fucking guy, man. That would have been great if he said that. (laughs) What, Jerry? Nothing. (laughs) (laughs) Nothing, dear. Yeah, no, that's one of those where, like, I I don't get it. You know what I mean? Like, I don't see why you don't just fucking chat with the guy real quick and just be done with it, you know? But maybe maybe he's just, I guess, the idea is that he's supposed to be scared that he's going to be found out. 
Well, I think part of it is also that the guy's a therapist. So speaking with a guy that's, that's uh, trained to be that way, maybe he's just going to go off on a tangent and kind of reveal, like you said, just reveal the fact that he killed his family and had something to do with it. Perhaps. So he doesn't want to talk to a head shrinker. You know, but it also, could be. Just, but, yeah. mm-hmm. Go ahead, Dean. I was going to say, but, don't, but also that was all happening after Jerry – um, Jerry, J- J- Blake. Is it Jerry? Jerry Blake? Is it yeah, Jerry? Jerry. Yes, Jerry. Yeah. Uh, the, you know, oh, the therapist wants to talk to me. Like, that does come after he sees the photograph of him arrive from the, from the newspaper, correct? So yeah, that's he, correct. you know, he must be thinking that she's, she's, she's on to me. Who knows what she's talking to her therapist about? Why would I then go meet mm-hmm. with the therapist if she potentially has figured out uh, who I am, why would I then want to go, I have to keep my facade up, but like, it's, it's, it, that might not work, as you just said, against an expertly trained uh, psychiatric mind. <laughs> that's a good point, too. It is. You know, that's probably why he does, because he thinks that the jig is up, you know, that she might know something. But he's not quick to act just yet. Like, he's not ready to leave the situation yet and kind of plan a new family and a new uh, identity and a new location. He's still kind of just, see how this goes. So he plants the false mm-hmm. photo of the guy from the Brady Bunch, you know, with the mustache and everything. Robert Reed, you know. So obviously, Jerry's innocent. It can't be Jerry, you know. I mean, it's not even the same right. guy. So, you know, your, your, your pretenses and all your things are nothing. Even her friend says, like, listen, you got the proof. It's not him. So move on. Like, just move on with your life. And, but she's still suspicious, still not sure of herself. And then Baderant has to pull this whole thing of, well, I'm going to pretend like my name is Ray Martin, and I'm going to go say I want to buy a house, and I want Jerry to show me that house. Like, I, fine, you know, but at the same time, I would be kind of suspicious as Baderant that you know, maybe Stephanie is onto something. Maybe there is some truth to Jerry being not what he is. So, but, nope, Baderant goes right into that house. And you're supposed to be a professionally trained therapist, but yet your cover story falls apart within seconds. Like, you would think that he would have practiced it a little bit before he met with Jerry. An expertly trained psychiatric mind, I believe, is is the terminology. That that makes up the fact that he's this man. But that's just it. Like, he's slipping right in to that psychiatric role because, like, Jerry even says, you know, before he trips him up, uh, Jerry even says, like, are you, are you interested in the house or are you interested in me? Uh, so just because you're a good psychiatrist and are good at talking to people, that doesn't mean that you're good at, like, concealing your identity and playing a role that you're not. Um, and we obviously Absolutely. know that Jerry is also – a very quick and sharp mind and, you know, caught on really quick that, uh, you know, this was not a normal tale of the house. Yeah, exceptionally fast. As soon as he said that, that's what my wife always says. He's like, oh, thought you were a bachelor. <laughs> you know, <laughs> divorced. Oh, really? But yeah, but he, well, they, like, he recently just, divorced. He just quickly, uh, recently divorced. Yeah. Still yeah, it's, just, it's not enough. Yeah, you know, it's just it's one of those things where it's like if you're a bachelor, you know, and then all of a sudden I'm divorced. So obviously Jerry 
like you had said, Dean, you know, he, he's smart. Like, he's intelligent. Like, he knows what's going on. He doesn't know who this guy is, but he knows that he's on to something. So he just hacksaw Jim Duggins, the guy to death, with a two-by-four. Just yes. over and over and over again oh. in the middle of his house. <laughs> yeah. It's just it's such over a and over and over again. And you know, the you know, the the violence and that's you know, going back to the beginning of our discussion, uh when I had, yeah. had me categorizing more as like a a suspense a suspense thriller or like a violent suspense thriller, like the violence was like few and far between and while no was this like the most we've seen in the level of gore, like that with the bat was uh, you know, a, you know, a pretty pretty good beatdown, um, and I believe that there yeah. was one strike. I believe there was one strike with the board. Uh, you know, was was like a really good effect of the, us seeing the board, like hit him square on the top of the head, like while seeing mm-hmm. his whole face, like while he got hit. So, um, you know, I thought that was a pretty effective violent scene, and uh, you know, the the incessant amount of strikes, like the continuing to hit, the continuing to hit, like seeing. Blake's rage, like, come to the surface, you know, that we had seen glimpses of in the basement and obviously the aftermath of what had taken place in the house with his previous family. Mm-hmm. And the, the screams from doctor, you know, from the doctor, like, that sold it for me. Blake's that screams over and over again. It could be. I don't know. <laughs> but... You know, that, that's, you know, him expressing his rage for that and then rolling up the body in the, the tarp and putting him in the car and then setting it on fire before it goes off into a cliff. So, you know, Jerry, again, using that mind and then just whistling back home the Camptown Girls. He's <laughs> just cool yeah. and calm, you know. The Not Camptown <laughs> But, you know, he's coming home with bloody clothes. Like his wife's not going to be like, oh, what's that all the clothes? Ah, strawberry ice cream. Strawberry syrup, honey. Don't worry about it. Let's go home and watch Mr. Ed. <laughs> you know, just, you know, I just, I love the fact that he just walked home. Don't even know how far it is. Just walked. Not even, you know, trying to find a cab. But, uh, so with the doctor out of the way, this leads Stephanie and Jerry to have a closer relationship. Although, when Jerry breaks the news to her, it's like, well, who told you? Like, did the cops call? <laughs> is he trying to play it like the cops called the house? Like, uh, sorry to tell you this, but, uh, you know, your daughter's therapist was found dead in a burnt-up car this morning. Going to have to break the news to her. All right, will do. Hey, Stephanie, yeah, your, your doctor's dead. You drove off the road. I don't know. The police don't even know either. It's crazy. Anyway, want to love me now? <laughs> it's just so awkward. Like, you know, she didn't ask any questions. He, he, he pulls out that horrible line where he says, Oh, like there's something good that has come out of this. <laughs> you know, like, it's well, well I guess together. in his own, I guess in a way he's brought us closer together. <laughs> just that yeah, line, some, you know, like we're closer than ever. Quinn, that's just fucking hysterical. And a lot, and so it's, I don't know if it's, I, it's one of those where I feel like the directors and the writers of the movie they, it's unintentional comedy for them, but I feel like there's times in this movie that Terry O'Quinn knows exactly what kind, of, what kind of movie he's in. Like, he realizes that to some extent this film is slightly comedic in its portrayal of, like, everything that's going on here. I mean, he just beat a guy to death with a two-by-four. Like, he's got to know. <laughs> he uses a two-by-four as a weapon to kill somebody. 
Like you've got to know there's a little bit of, of uh, humor in this, like a dark comedy almost, you know, in this thriller. I was thinking of um, and he, and he you know, plays the, that. Other movie I always think of Ter- Terry O'Quinn and Dean, Blind Fury, man. He's the father. Yes. Yes. Uh, he plays. That flick. I haven't you know, seen like that in so father long. Father in, in several roles. Um, this one I think included. of him as is uh, um. He was like the the corporate boss. He was uh, Luke Wilson's corporate boss in Old School, uh, who's like he sleeps with uh, Alicia Cuthbert, yeah. and that's her and the mm-hmm. dad. Um, yeah. You know, he's he's had he's had like roles like that, so like hot. businessman type role. Yeah. Yeah, he's, he's always funny, doing every show. Uh, I, you know, I always confuse by name Terry O'Quinn and uh, the guy uh, who was in. Um, he was in Rambo, the fourth Rambo, and uh, is it Graham Graham McTavish? Do you guys know who I'm yeah. talking about? I know of the actor. Graham McTavish. In in the fourth Rambo movie, he was the main mercenary uh, that like keeps like he talking shit to like Stallone him. on the boat. They have like a similar kind of look. And when uh, when you said Terry O'Quinn, that's who I was thinking of. And then <clears throat> when the movie started, when Stepfather started, I was like, wait a second. Oh yeah, and then like, oh, that's that. That. Yeah. Then <laughs> I heard his voice, and he's and Terry O'Quinn has a very distinct voice in the movies to me. Like if. If I heard yeah. his voice and I was not in the room, I would know exactly who it was. Uh, and you so know what? That Graham McTavish talk- look for him was his look that he had in Lost as uh, John Locke. Right. Yeah. 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 Yep. Which so, another fantastic uh, But role. Terry O'Quinn, he has that. He has a distinctive like voice, as I just said. Um, so as soon as I heard him talk, I was like, oh, I have my actors <laughs> confused. Yes, one mm-hmm. Scottish. Um, yeah, 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 McTavish is, is Scottish. Quinn's <clears throat> Irish, I would imagine. But um, this this bond between Jerry I and Stephanie doesn't last very long. Talking about <laughs> Quinn. Okay, well there you go. <clears throat> but O'Quinn, that's why I always thought was Irish. But okay. Um, so, but yeah, the bond doesn't last very long because uh, Paul Baker, the boy next door that we've seen crushing on Stephanie from the Ellis movie. Decides to, you know, take his Vespa and drive home with her and walk her up to the front door like a gentleman. And as he goes to plant that kiss, Jerry assumes rape and rushes out the door and starts screaming at the poor kid who just tears off in the right. night like he anybody would. It's amazing. Amazing. He immediately goes <laughs> yeah. to, he's raping her right on the doorstep. Like, they, they have like a little kid. <laughs> he immediately goes yeah. to rape. <clears throat> he was trying to tear her clothes off. I saw it, Susan. You don't even know what this boy's capable of. Susan, you know, Stephanie's just a little girl. I'm 16. Now, I don't know, and here's the thing, right? And I don't know if you guys picked up on this because I, because I did. Uh, in that sequence, you know, uh, I think his mom goes, she's 16, or, or he's, the dad goes, uh, I'm sorry, Jerry goes, she's only 16 years old. And then mom goes, hey, he's also 16. But then, like, a little bit <laughs> later in the movie, we have her completely naked in the shower I feel like that was like an over and just like something that was kind of missed. Um, 
I don't know. Like, it's just, it, and right away, and I, I don't know if you guys mentioned, like, I also wasn't expecting to see uh, Terry O'Quinn's dick in this film either. But, um, uh, yeah. when, when, yeah, when, when they scream about how she's only 16, and then a little while later they have her completely naked, I feel like that's just like a little miss uh, by the filmmakers that they probably didn't even, I don't, I, I'm going to guess it's something they didn't even consider, uh, you know, that when they're just writing, like, dialogue, uh, but, you know, that kind of jumped out to me. Um, well, I, I think know, the it's true that it's a hard... Like, <laughs> 20. She was 20-something. 20 um, 20 no, the that's the thing, too. That, she was in her 20s. Yes, that's what I said. She's in her 20s, but the character she's portraying is 16. I mean, I think we've seen yeah. this in other films, though, too, in which, you know, you have characters that are being sexualized in some way, shape, or form, but meanwhile, they're teenage characters. Like, yes, I get it that right. the actor or the actress is going to be of age, but you're, like, hypersexualizing somebody that's considered a young teen. But I think this is also a response to, like, hey, this is a horror movie, and... You know, we uh, you know, people like TNA, um, and again, yeah. having an actress yeah. of age, you know, means you can, you know, obviously throw her, throw her to the to the wolves nakedly. Um, but yes, this did definitely uh, me, me and the and Bonnie both looked at each other. We're like, yeah, they did say she was sixteen, right? <laughs> okay. Right. I mean, look, if we think back, if we think back on it, there's like plenty of high school movies where, like. Romeo and Juliet, bro. What's that? No, of course, Romeo and Juliet. Um, Yeah, she was only, what, like 14 or 15 when she did that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I just, uh, you know, I'm fine to think now of, like, high school movies that we've seen where they're certainly fucking being shown, but, you know, I guess they're not necessarily screaming out in the middle of the movie how old one of the characters is. Like, in, for example, oh, and Terry O'Quinn, here's a perfect fucking, uh, a, 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 a perfect uh, connection because he played, uh, he played Eugene's father in, in Mischief School. And uh, in that movie, like, we see Kelly Preston's full-on book and we know she's in high school. You know, like, she could be 18 in high school, but they never specify what grade she did or how old she is, I don't think. I like American Pie. You know what I mean? Like, that movie is... What's the entire purpose of that film? About those guys having sex. They call the when? There's, to get there's senior year of high school, you know? So we know that, you know, most people that are in their senior year are going to be ages 17 to 18. So, you know, you, you, you automatically got to take that for what it is. That's, yeah, that's exactly right. I mean, it's an 87 movie. They're kind of hoping that you forget that. You obviously, I mean, I know I did when I watched it this time. I was like, oh, wait a second, she's 16. I'm watching her get naked. Like, you know, even though she's 23, we we're woke. Really be comfortable with it. But, yeah, we, we just understood. I mean, in 1976, Natasha Kinski made a movie called To the Devil, a Daughter, and she was 15, and she got naked and got raped in that movie. So, you know, and she was 15. So, you know, it's, it's not like this hasn't happened before, but... Uh, with this movie, it's it's like the goal with that. It's it's eye candy. It's TNA for the ending of the movie. It's a weird place oh, no, to put sure, it. Oh, for sure. Yeah. I have look. I have no problem seeing fucking fucking pits. Like it, they were there. They were. It was it was it was that's what you would. That, they were great. Uh, you know, you would expect pits in in eighties horror in lots of horror. Uh, it just mm-hmm. it was just and maybe it's just the kind of sensitive era that we're living in. But juxtaposed where the 
because a few minutes ago they were screaming how she was 16. It's just like, like <laughs> it happened so not so long and after that was, where I was like, oh. and she was being raped. Uh, so that, that's all. Yeah, <laughs> by this by this Paul Baker, this, this rapist that's also 16 on my doorstep. But this was what happens is that now Jerry's like, okay, I got to move on. Like, his family isn't working out, so I got to create a whole new identity. I got to take off my wig, you know. I got to put on a little pencil thin mustache, and I got to go across town, quit my job, and then I got to go get a job as an insurance salesman and set up another town, another life, and immediately talk to a widow just raking next door, going, "Hey, just you and the kids, all right." <laughs> so already he's just you know making another life for himself across town. You know, for some reason he doesn't want to leave the area. He doesn't want to go to another state. He just likes he likes Washington. It's, it's safe. It's familiar. So he's going to stay in this town to make another life while Jim Ogilvy is walking around door to door going, hey, have you seen this guy? Have you seen this guy? Like just banging door to door, you know, just looking That's, around to see know, if anybody I, knows who he is. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I don't know how much you brought up. And what that character's name was Jim, you said? Yeah, Jim, yeah. Yeah, so oh, I don't know if this has been brought up already in the discussion. Now, in our viewing of the film as like the outside observers of the story and what's unfolding in the story and all of the characters, like we as the audience are, are, are viewing uh, Jerry's increasing tape of ending the situation that he's currently in and then moving on to his next, <clears throat> moving on to his next family and doing away with this one. Like he started the pattern, you know, and yeah. is getting very close to, to making that switch. Now, from when Jim shows up in town and talks to the reporter and then talks to the police, like, like he's told they got nothing. They got nothing to go on. They have no, and maybe I missed something, and maybe one of you guys can point out what I missed. Like, he only has his own hunch and his own suspicions, and he's starting to put the pieces together and crack down Jerry, but like, he has no idea what Jerry is up to that it's like the day that he's going to his family. And like his rapidly increasing uh, sense of urgency and emergency, wheeling his tires all over the place. Like it just, he had nothing to, like he had no information to like have him no. be in such a huge bit of hysteria unless it was that he felt that maybe he was close to solving the case that no one was able to solve and he couldn't contain himself and he found more information. But it's just like, here's this guy, like, in a race to, it felt like he was in a race to stop it in the nick of time, but he would have had no information to realize that he needed to be so urgent to be speeding and killing all over town. Well, he just knew it Exactly. That's where I was going with it. I was going to say the same thing. Like, I feel like, you know, this was just more of, like, his urgency is based on stopping the next one. Yeah. You know, he assumes that this has probably happened before um, and that it's definitely going to happen again. So it's just a matter of uh, finding this guy and he needs to find a, uh, an image of said guy. And he just, he happens to, to come across the right door at the right time because while Jerry's at home coming home, he's already quit that job at the realty place. Susan now knows that he hasn't been there for a few days. Jerry's still kind of not yet planning on killing them, so he tries to come up with an excuse, like, oh, of course I'm there, you know, it's a new receptionist, and 
I'm going to really speak my mind. So when he picks up that phone, the, Susan's like, oh, wait, wait, wait. Now, it, you know, you're right. Maybe it was a mistake. No, he picks up that phone and he goes, Hodgkins. How could you forget that? Well, who's that? Hodgkins. Wait, wait. Je- Jerry, Blake, who am I here? Who am I here? And what are you talking about, Jerry? Love that. Oh, sorry, honey. Oh, just that line, the who am I here? And then all of a sudden picking up that phone and bashing her in the head with it and <laughs> sending her all the way down the stairs into that basement. And then just dumping out all the knives, just looking for the right one. Do I want the big one? Do I want the little one? I don't know. I, uh, I got to decide. But meanwhile, Stephanie has come home, and now she's taking a shower, you know, like we had talked about. You know, she doesn't hear anything that's going on as Jim knocks faithfully on that door, and it's Jerry. <laughs> oh, Jim, I haven't seen you in the longest time. Welcome to the show, Rob, from Friday 13th Part 4, because what happens to Jim? Immediately gets stabbed to death before he could even pull out the gun that he's been training with earlier on in the film. Oh, man, all that training. Jim, poor Jim. He should have watched Friday 4, man. All he needed to do was just start yelling, you know, he's killing me. He's killing killing me. me. Right. But (laughs) another thing with that, too, with with Jim and the gun, is that, like, They're like, he's told, like, there is no clue. There's nothing in any way that says that this person is here, that this situation is going on again. We have nothing. We literally have nothing. Like, you can yell in my face all you want, but I'm telling you, there is absolutely nothing to go on. But just in case, get and learn how to use it. Yeah, no, he but and he but he does have that like moment where he's training with it, where he's at the gun range. But no, doesn't come into play because he barely can get the gun out when he's being stabbed to death. You know, you should have called before you stopped by, Jim. Now I gotta go kill Stephanie. See you later. You know, walking up those stairs and Stephanie still not knowing what's going on. You know, all of a sudden yeah, she yeah, sees yeah. Jerry holding yeah. the knife. Hello, pumpkin. And yeah, and then very awesome before that, like the, with the horror movie one-liner. <laughs> should have called. <laughs> should have called before dropping by. <laughs> yeah. And just, you know, the chase through the house, through the attic, where you see Stephanie walking on the boards very carefully not to fall through, and, of course, Jerry falls right through into the bathroom. (laughs) Jerry was doing perfectly fine, but for whatever reason, at the very end, Jerry decides that, like, hey, you know what? I know I've been walking on the beams the entire time I'm here carefully, but you know what? This last step just before I get her? Now, I want to step on the sheetrock, which I clearly would know is going to push me, not only put me through, but, like, put me through violently. All the way through to the bathroom below where he's just trying to, he's, like, half unconscious at this point, you know, trying to still go after her. And as she's on top of the steps, that's when we see Susan come back with the gun, firing it like Jim should have done earlier. And she's like a crack shot, you know, just, you know, two in the chest, one in the leg. You know, but he's still going after, you know, Stephanie, get the knife, get the knife. And, of course, Stephanie leads to that final stab in that heart, like just right in the heart section, which is a great effect for, for 87. I just love the fact that you see it sticking right out of his chest, you know, make it stick that well. And just with that final line of I love you as he falls down the steps to his, to his death, <laughs> you know. Uh, like Terry O'Quinn in that fall, I loved it. Such a replayable moment. Yeah. Just seeing and then, crack and, up and, against and, the railing. Sorry, I, I lost my um, – I'm, I'm driving right now, and I, and I, I stopped listening for a sec because I had to navigate the traffic. But uh, when we talked about before him getting up and, and up there and getting into the fight with Stephanie and him, like, kind of punching her around the upstairs, 
uh, like they totally did that fucking setup. And it goes back to, uh, it's a pretty serious first, at its very first was like a Hitchcockian move where after, <clears throat> after Dim is dead and Jerry stepped over him, like they very clearly let the camera linger uh, to let oh, yeah. you know that he left the gun there on the floor. Mm-hmm. And oh, yeah, then definitely. when, then when they get back out before you see, before you see, uh, before you see mom, you know, the camera pans that way again, and you see that the gun is gone. So, so obviously, uh, you know, we, we, at least in that moment, I'm like, all right, well, obviously I know it's going to happen now. Yeah, no, it's definitely, she's got it. And I love the fact that she keeps smacking the butt of it to see if it'll make it work again. Like after she's wasted all the rounds, she keeps sure. smacking the butt of it going, oh, come on, work, work, work. And you're out of bullets. That's not how guns work. That's a revolver. <laughs> you can't smack the bottom of it and make it fire out of oh, the man. He's dead. There's another <laughs> one in there somewhere. <laughs> yeah. But luckily, you know, he is he's down with that knife in his chest right to the heart, and they close out with them cutting down the, the big-ass birdhouse that they put up together, you know, until two days later when she finds another husband because this woman was fast. So it's not even going to be Saturday by the time she finds another guy to marry. So Stephanie's going to be oh, probably not. the next guy. That can... No, no, we, we've seen how fast she moves. It's not going to take very long, you know. But, you know, just stay single for a while, man. Like, you know, just play the scene. You don't, you don't need to get married, you know. Stay single, you know, with your daughter, have fun, you know. But, no, so we'll see because the sequel does happen. No, I agree. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So uh, that is The Stepfather from 1987, directed by Joseph Rubin. So next week. Dean, it is your pick. What do you have for us? It is my pick next week, and uh, because of my my absences, it's been a while since I've had a pick, so hopefully I pick one that satisfies not only my fellow hosts here talking terror, but also our, our very loyal audience. But uh, my pick is going to be taking us to the stutter streaming service, where for next week we are going to be watching something called Blood Quantum. Hmm, oh, Blood Quantum. You like Canada, man. You just, I know this movie. It's another Canadian production. You just, yeah, man, we're going back to Canada. Alright. A little bit of a, a zombie yeah, film, if I remember. Don't, but know, don't, don't know if either of you have heard of it or are familiar with it at all. Um, but I have yeah, not seen it. it, and it's been on my list, uh, so I'm looking forward to uh, to getting to check this one out. Yeah, I mean, I, I messed with you. It's a, it's a Canadian production. It's the only reason I mess with you. But, yeah, I've seen it. Uh, you know, interesting. Interesting. Uh, we're going to zombies. So we'll see how that turns out next week with Blood Quantum, uh, which you can find on Shutter if you want to watch along with them. So thank you so much for that and, uh, pick, Dean. And, we'll see and, you back next week. Yes, of course. And, cool. I, I, I picked this one off of my, my list on Shutter. Oh, look at that. <laughs> yeah. Because it was on his save list that so, he just hasn't watched it. So big. Well, well, we'll see how you guys like it. I mean, you know, like I said, I've, I've seen it. Um, looking forward to talking about it. Uh, but we'll get there next week with Blood Quantum. Um, I'm saying that. I'm not like saying it. Blood Quantum. I'm like, what? Blood Quantum. Uh, Jeff Barnaby. Fuck. Yeah. Blood Quantum. Blood Blood, yeah, blood, quantum. blood quantum. Yeah. So we'll, we'll get there. All right. Anyway, so we will see you next week. Sure. That's how blood quantum. 
All right, so uh, Gould, do you want to help uh, close us out tonight? Yeah, stay scared. Yeah. All right. Bye, Bean. Easy, simple, to the point. <laughs> Good night, everyone. So, anyway. I'll be looking forward uh, to, to, to getting back to business next Your number one fan, Marie, cannot wait for your pick. She's not a horror fan, but she listens for you. So there you go. Do it for her, man. <laughs> Anyway, Sorry, who, is, who, who is this that you're talking about again? Marie, our, our Dutchland roller. She's a huge fan of you and uh, your, your your tantrums and, and your fun that you bring to the show. So I'm sure she's going to be listening yes. real close next to the Blood Quantum. All right. For you and All right. everything. So if, if you're listening ready. real close, I expect you to provide the King of Par with a full report. Oh, you know she will, because she she gives you a rundown after every episode what she thought. So, you know, got to got to do it for the rollers, got to do it for Marie. So we'll see you back here next week for that. As always, I'm your old pal, the King of Horror and G thing. Thank you so much for listening. Keep America strong. Watch horror movies. Hail Satan. Hail yourselves. Hail Odorous. Enjoy the rest of your weekend. We'll see you next week, people. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.